Good morning, good morning, good morning. We're getting the thumbs up from the live stream booth. Let's be standing. We'll sing everybody else on in here. I'm in the way, the bright and shining way. I'm in the glory land way. Telling the world that Jesus saves today. Yes, I'm in the glory land way. church. Welcome to WFR. It's Christmas Eve and our traditional Christmas Eve. How many is this now? 19 for you and I? 19 we've done together, Al. 19 years. The bachelor's. Yay. We got the rookies going over in the other room, Bromley and Rucker, so we'll see how they do. (laughs) You know, you got the minor leagues and you kind of move up to the big leagues. That's the way it works around here. Uh, uh, we're so glad you're here today with us. Uh, what a blessing. 
I guess about every seven years we have Christmas Eve on Sunday, uh, and I can't think of a better way to celebrate our Lord and Savior. Amen? We still proclaim the same message for over 2,000 years. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And the church says, Amen. Amen. And you know, uh, it, it, uh, it wasn't like his presence wasn't already here. Uh, obviously, he is the Alpha and the Omega, Revelation says, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and who is to come, Almighty God. And that, uh, but there's something happened in that incarnation when God became flesh there, John 1-1. In the beginning was the Word, words with God, the Word was God. And, and later on in that, in that uh, chapter, verse 14, the Word became flesh, became man. God did through Jesus Christ through that birth. And you know what's unique about that? I, uh, I don't know really how to explain it, but he gave up something for eternity when he became man. Because later on, Paul writes... There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And then John writes in 1 John that whatever Jesus is like in his body now, we're going to be like him when we get there. So somehow or another, he never ceased being God, yet something about the incarnation changed him for eternity. And we are blessed to be able not only today celebrate his birth, but also to celebrate his death for us, his burial, and his resurrection. And the fact he went back and he's mediating for us this very day. And he said, look, I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to come back. The son, according to Colossians 1.15, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything we might have the supremacy. Today we're doing things a little bit different. We're going to be singing and worshiping, and Mike and I are going to be back up and uh, and down speaking, uh, pointing all glory to Jesus this morning. What a blessing that we have in him. So let's stand and worship together. And look, if you're a visitor here, we want you to know you are a special guest. You're a part of our forever family. Glad you're here and enjoy uh, just, just jumping and participate in the worship today. John. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare in room. And heaven and nature sing, just heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. Joy to
Well, Mike, now I know what it's like to be on the worship team. It's you finally fantastic. made it, Alfie. I finally, finally made it. Standing. Perky was giving me that Barney Fife, you know, just lower. Get the <laughs> lower. Lower. I thought you did quite well. Thank Alfie. you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Such a blessing. Uh, I'll tell you, I, uh, a lot of prep goes into the worship team, by the way. I, it does. I know Perky and them do a, a lot of work. Uh, Ahead of time on laying everything out, and uh, uh, and there's a lot of preparation going on for Christmas. Yep. Uh, by the way, uh, Grace Burke, if you see her, thank her for all the lights and decorations and all that that she's done there. Great job, Gracie. Uh, I've taught Grace everything she knows about exterior illumination, and I'm so glad <laughs> that she's carrying on the tradition. Yeah, you know, in our family, it's interesting, Mike, because... Uh, you know the the one thing about the uh, the movie The Blind is it it centers at the end about Christmas, and the reason is is because Christmas was always a big deal to us, even when Mom and Dad weren't Christians because they loved it so much. But right here in West Monroe, uh, 1975, I'll never forget it. Ten years old, and our first Christian Christmas was here. And things were so different and so changed. And so, you know, it was really neat that they depicted that in the movie. And I thought about it today because we had five people in the little apartment down there at Pine Terrace on North 7th for that first Christmas. Now, this year, 55-plus out of that same group. And that's what God can do through multiplication, right? Uh, And in ministry because of what he spoke to in us. And, man, we've had some meals through the years. I mean, I appreciate Mom so much. Because not only was she trying to, like, have Christmas and all that, but obviously, I mean, you've eaten at her house, oh, right? Oh, look, I, I have, and I'm willing to more. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been down there a lot of times, and Miss Case prepped everything. And, and uh, somebody prepped something. I'm assuming I know who, who it was on all that. But, uh, and, and put out the Matter of fact, you, you remember how back where we uh, uh, had the Bible classes going on, mm-hmm. and uh, your dad was teaching one that was... Uh, I don't know. Had a ton of people, in it, and and Bill Smith had a big one, and yep. several classes. You and I were relegated to the I minor we leagues the, back then. We were, we were the up here in the basement, yep. yeah. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, Phil, uh, classic. Bill just invites everybody in the Bible class. We're going to have a Bible class fish fry down at Miss K's. You know, all sixty of you come on down. Uh, but when we all got down there, I'm, I'm not sure how I got invited, but I'm sure I was. That uh, <laughs> it was over 200, 200 people. people showed up. That's the biggest. What were y'all doing when the, about the fish? That so was as prepping. the cars kept coming down that hill on the river, dad looked around at me and Jay's and he was like, boys, we don't have enough fish. <laughs> and I'm not Jesus, you know, <laughs> you know, Jesus could just make his own. <laughs> Uh, so he said, you boys are going to have to go down there and they've got two nets right down there on the, you know, pointed out where they were, go run them, bring them back. And so as he's cooking, we're continually catching and cleaning. So we pulled it off. It was a miracle. Uh, but we found out that the prep work is the special part of it, right? That's the work that goes into it. And we're in a place in our text in Luke, in Luke 22, uh, that we're going to talk about today. And when Jesus comes in now to Jerusalem, the first thing that he's going to do is have a meal together, and it's going to be the Passover meal with his disciples. But there was some prep work that went into it. So in Luke 22 and verse 7, 
The Bible says, Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And you realize that this is really the last Passover that would ever be needed. Because now we had a new Passover lamb. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, and I've always thought this was funny for some reason to me. I mean, this Jesus has this thing planned down, right down to the details. He says, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. And just stop for a second and think about that. That's why I love the Bible. Jesus has thought through this and can see this so clearly. He says, you know, you're going to be walking down there. There's a guy carrying a jar of water. How did he know that? Right? And what if there were more than one guy carrying a jar of water? But he knew, right? Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, there's no names, just the the jar of water guy and his house. The teacher says, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Jesus knew how special this day was. And he had planned it out, and he had prepared down to the final details. He told his disciples, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, and so they prepared the Passover. So this is much like we talked about back in Luke 19, when he knew exactly where that donkey foal was going to be. And he had planned every one of these events down to the detail of everything that's needed, much like we do today, because that's how special this supper was going to be. You know, Jesus, before he was man, he was with God. And in Exodus chapters 11 and 12, he's there at that first Passover when the lamb was chosen and the blood is put on the doorpost. So think about it. Jesus has all that knowledge of understanding because he's always been around understanding his role and what that was going to be in terms of being that lamb. So now it's come all the way to this point, and he now is going to be the lamb. Every lamb that was killed on the day of the crucifixion were killed uselessly. Because there's no need anymore. The greatest lamb of all was offered for us. So we celebrate this. We do a thing here at our church every Sunday. We do something called communion. Or some call it the Lord's Supper. And we remember the story of the death, burial, and resurrection. And when Jesus had that last supper... And he took that bread, and he said in Luke 22, he gave thanks and he broke it, and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And think about all the things that are going to now come to the memory of the disciples as they're looking back over their interactions with Jesus, all the miracles that he's done, the love that he's had, the, how he treated an adulterous woman, how he treated the woman at the well, how he healed the leper. All these things, remembering the compassion, the heart, the character, the holiness of this one. And he says, I'm not going to do this with you again until we get up into the kingdom together. So this is going to be a special time, a thing called the Passover.
which is communion does today. So like many of you will do later today or tonight or tomorrow or whatever your family tradition is, you're going to gather for a meal. And you'll know that gathering is to honor Christ first, but then also to honor and enjoy your family. And that's what this moment is. That's what the supper is all about. It's remembering who Jesus is and the sacrifice that he made for us. And so you see in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4, later in 1 Corinthians 11, that tradition carries on right up till this morning, Christmas Eve, in West Monroe, Louisiana, and wherever you're watching from, that we share this communion meal together. And also have a time of contribution because we give because he first gave to us. Let's have a prayer before we share communion together. Father, we are blessed to be able to call you our God, our Father, our Provider, Jesus, our Sustainer, our Mediator, Holy Spirit, our Counselor and Comforter and Guide. You're there, Father, in this moment because we celebrate what you did for us. And Jesus, we're so grateful that you did come here. And we do celebrate that, not just today, not just tomorrow, but every single moment of our lives. Today, as we share this communion together, we give honor to your body that was on that cross, that was sacrificed for us. We honor you as our Passover lamb. We honor you as our Lord and our Savior. Jesus, we're so grateful for the blood that was shed so that we could have purity and justification and life in you. As we partake together as a family, Father, help us to always give you honor and glory to measure the goodness of who who you are to ourselves and to know that you make us worthy. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. If you didn't have opportunity to get a cup, there's some guys walking around that they'll be glad to to uh, take care of you on communion.
Oh 
26 says that after right after the meal it says when they had sung a hymn they went out to the Mount of Olives so now the agonizing events leading to the cross takes place Jesus human moment there in the garden described by Dr. Luke here in vivid detail, says he was being, Luke 22:44, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. No matter how many times we read, hear, watch now the story, of Jesus' death and the brutality surrounding it, it's never easy, is it? I think one of the reasons why is because in the perfection of God, in the glory of grace, in the love of mercy, we see as a man, God, and we compare that with the gruesome brutality of mankind, how we treat one another, how he was treated that day for just being who he was. There was no sin found in his mouth, sinless, perfect lamb of sacrifice, and yet he was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep who before her shearers is silent, he too was silent. And he took it. And he took it for us. He was abandoned. He was arrested. He was left alone.
to face this completely on his own. He was mocked, he was brutalized, he was tortured, he was ridiculed by layer after layer of authority, human authority, who really had no authority over him. We know that at any moment he could have called down legions of angels. He could have destroyed every person on the planet with one spoken word. And yet he was silent. Because the mission that he came to do was on that cross. And as he was nailed to that cross, he said a few things. And all have a huge impact on us. 2,000 years later, he looked at these people, the people that had nailed him to the cross, the people that had falsely accused him, the people who had not believed in him, the people of Israel who knew for thousands of years that his moment had come. And you know what he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And to a thief who knew his own sinfulness and lack of deserving anything, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. To his mother, who was there when he was born, who had gotten the great tidings of joy, Emmanuel, God with us, who was told how special he would be, who was blessed at the temple, who had pondered all those things in her heart, who is there now to witness this brutality against her own flesh and blood. And his brother John, he said, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. To his father, those famous words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm why. You're, you're why. He's, he's there for us. And then he makes this statement. The one that claims to be living water to those that need a drink, he says, I thirst. And he thirsted for us. He said at the end, it is finished, meaning that the redemptive mission that he had came to accomplish was now at hand. And he looked up into heaven and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That great separation of body, soul, and spirit was now happening to the sustainer and creator of the entire universe. He made himself nothing. So that that moment, that we would look to heaven and say, into your hands we commit our spirit, we would have confidence because of him. And that all happened on the cross. And a unique thing happened that day. It had been prophesied by the prophets of old. In the middle of the day, in the middle of the daylight, the sun stops shining. Darkness overtakes him. Just the opposite of what happened when he was born. So when he was born, the angels appear and the glory of the Lord shone and there's light in the middle of a night. 
Now there's darkness in the middle of the day. And like when he was born, bringing wise men to find him is a star that leads the way. The one that created the stars and names them, Psalm says, he names them, he puts them there. Used one of his creation things to bring men to Jesus. And now, Paul says, you, you're to shine like stars in the universe. You and I are to be the ones that are the stars bringing men to Jesus. Can you imagine what it was like when that, in the middle of the day, all of a sudden, darkness hits. And whole creation knows something has happened. During that darkness, the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. The Bible says there was a great earthquake, but earthquakes don't tear curtains. The Almighty does that. To allow us into His presence without the help of any other man, but with the help of one man who is God, Jesus Christ. And that's why that temple curtain was torn, to give us access to God. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. There was a Roman centurion there, remember him, in charge of the execution, who looks up and says, Surely this was the Son of God, this righteous man. I think sometimes, and you hear us say the word gospel so much, I think sometimes we can be so familiar with the story that if we're not careful, it loses its impact on what really happened. For Mike Kellett. For me. That God in the flesh would do this for me. Look. I know me. (laughs) Uh, I know all my brokenness and my mess ups. I know when my thinking isn't on target. I know when I've dove into sin that I shouldn't be in. But if I can't remind myself about the power of the death of Jesus... If I get so familiar with it, it's just like another day, another thing. If I'm not careful, it'll quit pricking my heart. And I need the gospel preached to me all over again because I need my heart re-pricked again, right? Someone asked me one time, Mike, what do you tell someone who's already been a Christian? But Well, the gospel. Why? Because I'm trying to re-prick their hearts with the greatest story ever told. And I don't know about you, but I have to go back and... Remind myself, don't say those words in such a familiar way that they lose the fantastic victory that comes through this tragedy that took place on a hill 2,000 years ago.
And we celebrate that today. And that's unusual. Because we think of Christmas and we think of the baby Jesus and we think of that moment that we all are excited about birth and life and hope and opportunity. But that's what the cross did for us. It gives us that opportunity. And so Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, a Pharisee, they go and they take down that precious body of our Lord and Savior who was broken, beaten, beyond recognition, and they prepare him for his burial. And we know, of course, Nicodemus has been seeking and searching throughout the ministry of Jesus, and now he's finally out there making his public proclamation. He loves his Lord, and he wants to prepare him for what he probably thinks is going to be in the ground forever. But we all know that that tomb, that brand new tomb of this rich man, it won't be able to hold our Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. Man. Amen. Yes, Amen. because in three days, he's going to come out of that tomb. Let's stand. Let's praise our Lord and Savior. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see.
Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen. And today we celebrate an empty tomb. Along with a wooden cross where our Lord and Savior gave his life for us. There were many that witnessed the resurrected Lord. We know that from 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul described it. But one of the stories I love, Mike, is in Luke 24 when there were two of the disciples. And Jesus had some apparently shape-shifting properties in his resurrected body. And I can't wait to get that. <laughs> right? That's right. Looking like other people, you're not sure who he is, he's eating fish, he's loving life, he's showing us that we have some exciting things to look forward to, amen? Mm-hmm. And so he's walking along, he's talking to these guys and just kind of gauging the seeing where their heart and where their spirit is. Two of his disciples who don't recognize him. And I love after he reveals himself and then he just disappears, something else I want to be able to do. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but my heart is burning today, realizing how great our God is, how great our Lord and Savior Jesus is, what he's done for us to give us hope. We're going to face that moment just like he did, unless he comes back first, and I wouldn't mind that either. And then we're going to know that we will be transformed in our bodies just as he was. He being the first 
fruits of the resurrection. And then the scripture will be true. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? God gives us victory through Jesus Christ. You think about uh, when they had their eyes opened. The only way you and I can have the confidence of the hope of seeing Jesus when he comes, you think about it, Al, is because we have to allow, open our hearts to have our eyes opened right now. If we don't have our eyes open now to see who Jesus is, then it will be a rude eye-opening experience when he comes. But when we have our hearts and our eyes open right now to say he is Lord, he is my all, he is everything, then what a great day that we can face with confidence when he comes back again. Hope. What a great word. It's light at the end of the tunnel. It's what gets you through every difficult thing in this life because you know there's something far better down the road. Is hope that this body's coming out of the ground. Or as you said, if he comes before we die, just, man, twinkling, twinkling of an eye. You know, uh, Al used to live out by the cemetery. And, he, and he, I remember you used, used to talk about, you know, that'd be a good place to be, right? Just see it all happen. But I don't know the twinkling of an eye how much we're going to actually get to see, Al. So can you imagine when that day comes? I, I think about the vocabulary of heaven. You'll never hear the word cancer again. You never hear the words pass away. You never hear the word hospital. You never hear the word sick. You never hear the word death. Our whole vocabulary will change. And I'll tell you, it's going to be a refreshing time when we have other great words that we use to praise God and sing hallelujah because of the resurrection and eliminate some of those things that we struggle with in this old world. The Hebrew writer put it this way, Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Last night, one of my Christmas traditions, I always loved during the Christmas holidays to watch the Christmas story, which was a story that was published 180 years ago. You can believe that, 1843, Charles Dickens. And it's a story about a fear of death. A man who has not lived his life the way he realizes in that moment of that last fateful night that he should have. And when he looks at that tomb and he sees his name on it, he knows he's not ready. And so what does he do? He's given the opportunity to change, to repent. It's about Christmas spirit, but we all know it's about more than just Christmas spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit. Mm. Because he is the one who has the power to change us and transform us. And so that wonderful story written so many years ago is our story today. 
And we don't want a Christmas to come and go. We don't want any day to come and go. We're not ready for what's next. We're not ready for Jesus. We're not ready for that loud trumpet call that's going to be a front row seat to the resurrection. Mike is right. No matter where we are, we're going to see it happen. It's going to be amazing. We want you to be ready today. We have a thing at the end of our services we call the invitation. It's really just a time for our forever family. If someone's having a struggle, someone's broken in some way, which we all are, right, at different times, we help each other. We're in it together, right? And we'll be singing the song in a minute. If you want to come down for prayer, encouragement, you can do that. Also, it's a time for those that have been making that decision to put Jesus on as Lord, for those that want to be baptized into Christ, that's what this invitation is also. It's repentance. It's renewal. It's a time of celebration and lament all at the same time. Many times sitting down here praying with people. But it's just called for us at Washington Road. It's just our forever time. Our forever family time. We're in a forever family. We're kin, right? You didn't know, did you know you were kin to me? I, how come I didn't get that invite to your house for dinner? Kin folks come over, right? Well, we're blood kin. Because of Jesus Christ. And that's our forever time with our forever family. We help each other walk through the darkest times because we have that living hope. If you have a need to respond in any way, you can do that while we stand and while we sing.